0: I let my mind wander And what did it do? It just kept right on going Until it got back to you
1: Welcome back to New Persuasive Words. I'm Scott Hi, Jones. And I'm Bill Bohr. And today we are going to take a – we're going to switch – well, we been switching up a lot lately. Yeah, I feel like that's yeah, not really yeah. fair to say. By
2: the way, did you get an invitation to the opening of the Bible Museum in Washington? I, I didn't. Did you? No. I saw one of our friends. Who and got we, it? Uh, Chase. Chase. Uh, ah, well, good for him. And I like he, had, he had a ticket to have lunch with uh, Rick Warren. <laughs> so <laughs> nice, yeah. Just he and Rick, or I, I don't know, he, I he don't and know. Rick and yeah.
1: seven hundred of Rick's closest I, friends, friends. Yeah,
2: <laughs> I don't. You know what is? I mean, I heard about this. By the way, is it like? Is it a real museum or is it like a propaganda museum?
1: I, at Fox News Sunday, Chris Wallace had it as his power player of the week the museum.
2: The museum was the power player. Yeah. I'll so. tell you,
1: I would much rather go to the Noah's Ark Museum if I was going to get an invitation. I would love to go to that and just talk to Ken Ham. All
2: right, well maybe we can send you on on uh, on location. We, can, I, I, we, we can it, have we'll, an persuasive word on location. The
1: best thing was he was in Bill Mars' movie Religious. Yeah, and he's like, "Look, uh, these scientists—they think they're above God. Are you? Are you God?" And Bill Mars just goes, "No." <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: it's just like no. it was just it was just amazing. Uh,
1: no. So. We want to talk a little bit about creativity. Mm-hmm. And the yeah. reason I wanted to talk about this, well, twofold. Uh, one was I started watching this show called Masters of Mind on Netflix. Okay. And I'm pretty sure it's based on a true story. It's the story of... This guy has a young FBI agent and winds up being assigned to teach at Quantico and he's really, in, he's doing hostage negotiation training and he sees a guy in abnormal psychology and he's so interested, and takes him for a beer, he's more curious about it and he wants to sort of study this stuff and so he goes and meets with a mass murderer to mm-hmm. interview him and yeah. they, they have this really interesting, engaging conversation and then he gets the senior guy roped into it who's more old school. Mm-hmm. Um and they get like basically they start studying what we now would now call serial killers and the FBI is so against it first. We don't want, what do academics have to teach us? They don't get the criminal mind. Right. And he's like dating the sociologist and he starts taking classes at UVA and abnormal psychology. And he's really, you know, like basically he's pushing for, you know, to, how can we get ahead of this if we don't understand it? Right. And cool. so it, he gets so much resistance. And then finally there's an academic that really gets behind him and they get all this funding and the, their supervisor doesn't know what to do with it because right. it's not very FBI, and yet they're, they're soft They're they're learning things. So I was thinking about that, and the other thing was I was listening to Bill Crystal's podcast. Bill Crystal, there he goes. <laughs> I told you, I, Mark, this is on your head, Mark. Uh, if I if I if I say, well, Rush Limbaugh said, then you yeah, institutionalize oh me immediately. <laughs> stop. <laughs> press stop, and then de- we're going
2: we're to shut down the uh, the podcast for a while till we. To we heal.
1: Yeah, it's too much. But we, he was talking to a, an economist named called er, Erwin Steltzer, who I had never heard of, but apparently did a PhD in like two years. But back in the day when he's like, I'll tell you where how to situate how we were. In my day, we were choosing between for the department, a secretary or a calculator. <laughs> and he's like, I could never do economics now with all the math you need. But like back then, it's you know, but it, <laughs> brilliant economist and he was very successful in business. I mean, these guys that did a PhD in economics actually stayed in business mm-hmm. and brilliant guy. And I mean, it's, it's a fascinating, I'll link to the interview because it's a fascinating mm-hmm. interview. But he was, they were talking about spending time in different parts of the country mm-hmm. and, and how they see things. And they were talking, Crystal was saying, just Washington. It's so helpful to get outside of Washington scenes to talk because, he said, like, for instance, this whole healthcare thing and taxes, and it's all based on the budget deal, which we look at tax policy every 10 years and we have a budget process and we have to do the budget process this way because of, you know, because of um uh, reconciliation. But these are all rules that are constructed. Right. Like, they're, they're, they're things that are completely changeable. They are right. things that had, Certain purposes at their time, they become right. creatures of their... And they're saying, like, basically, you ca- you just can't... It becomes hard to solve complex problems because so much time is spent thinking about the system and the mechanisms through which policy would be made. And that becomes... The dominant factor, rather than really thinking about policy, and it's funny because Irwin uh, seltzer was saying that his model is Roosevelt. Yeah, he's like a liberals He's like conservatives write these things. a the new that it was a fair, failure because oh, there was unemployment here, there. He's like no, it wasn't. Okay, and people say oh, well Roosevelt uh, he had a war. He just used the war. Well, okay, he didn't start the war. He, but what he did was he did something. <laughs> <laughs> he just talks about like yeah. this. He he tries something bold and creative, and and he kind of and he said, you know, conservatives like your dad came on and said, look, the New Deal is with us now. Let's figure out the best way we can make it work. And right. he said, and the guy said, Obama won. Uh, pre pre existing condition people are not going to pay actuarially what they should pay. And OK, live with it. Now, how do we make that the best system we can make it? And he, right. was, he was talking about, like, how do you get the right incentives? Like, how do you get to, How do you make sure that, you know, he was he was pointing to criticisms of the British Health Service. And, right. and he's like, that's what he economics and economics people and policy people can tell you. And, and kind of it's, it's an interesting guy, too, because he was saying he's for a carbon tax, which is like a lot of he's like, what do you mean? Well, first off, I am a little skeptical on the climate science. But I also am enough of a skeptic, you know, I could be wrong. And if I'm wrong and the club heats up, what can we do? It's like, so look, as a conservative, I'm thinking, what's the thing? Well, bureaucrats, all the, a, a market base, the carbon tax, fewer uh, people hired. So, so it's not going to mess up the bureaucracy. You know, it's not going to grow the bureaucracy too much. But it actually could, done the right, way. Do the right way. And you see, you know, I just have to realize, I, I, you know, I, I have to take precautions, given I'm wrong. And it seems So it's just so reasonable. Right, <laughs> you're, you're like, right. wait, wait this where is did, a reasonable did, where public policy yeah we're the reason <laughs> yeah.
2: well that sounds so strange what do you call it again oh reason, reason. Yeah, that's yeah. yeah
1: that's it that's yeah, it yeah I, I say that, that that it's not all old white guys but often it is I said the podcast should just be called old white guys talking <laughs> sense because there's so many interesting conversations but I was thinking about their the creativity question again because how how few people actually uh, propose creative solutions everyone's right. got their talking points everyone's got and, and they're saying you know you can you know we have had instances in the past where people did do creative things and
2: well I I think part of it, there's a couple of things. First of all, I think in business and industry, uh, the emphasis on the short term gain. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a huge problem. I think the other thing is we live in such a distracted age. Uh, sometimes creativity needs to have some time to think. Uh, you all, you also need to have room to fail. And I think I think there's less room for that in a lot of a lot of ways. Both because of the pressure to produce the all kinds of distractions we have uh, that we don't have. Much quiet time, or or do we have? Are we afforded opportunities to work things out in the long in the long haul?
1: Yeah, and if if necessity, so there's a the phrase, right? Necessity is you know the mother of invention, which yeah. uh, sometimes it's just the mother of suffering. <laughs> sometimes need, but but I but I, mean, I wonder, like necessity, probably sometimes. I wonder how much curiosity is a is a mother of creativity right because people mm-hmm. tend to like creatives tend to it's interesting i was reading some articles about creativity and we we're talking about this guy who founded one of the most successful medical corporation companies in the world billion dollar kind of mm-hmm. thing, and all of these interesting they, he, his latest thing they've done is uh, this certain thing that per device or that might cut the cost of spinal surgery in half and yeah. all these amazing like skin penetrating a- anti-inflammatory things honestly. but he was a parent his parents were both doctors he was pushed into med- medical school hated it hated his, his, and and then when he got outside of that system, he could think. And the same thing you look at like you look at Steve um, Jobs, mm-hmm. Mark Zuckerberg, Bill Gates—all college dropouts, right? <laughs> um, and there are people that tend to be. One some of the studies I looked at, like a lot of it is creative people that have some mark of creative genius are oftentimes self-teachers.
2: Yeah, and it's hard to. It's, they have trouble painting in the lines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that's. Yeah, I do think. And and again, that's always been. I mean, again, I'm for actually for universal education. I know that's a crazy idea, but. Um, the compromises involved in that are are extreme and huge. I mean, and, you know, part of the problem, you know, we understand now how different people learn in different ways. Mm-hmm. You know, th- I, and that's why, again, I still think education dollars are not wasted. I mean, again, there are educational school boards and school districts that waste dollars. Um, and that's a management issue. But investing in helping people understand and learn and, and giving the vast majority of people, the best chance to learn is 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 the best investment we can make as a country. But what we have found out is, you know, so much of whether it be standardized testing or the cookie-cutter nature of even the best schools um, is really problematic because that does not – that that gives you a certain result. That produces a certain kind of learning, but it doesn't necessarily produce kind of the best way of knowing and, and growing. and And certainly it's rough on people who have special needs – it's rough on creative people.
1: Yeah. And there is this tension, right, between on one level, generally people that are real innovators have mastered a tradition, right? And then they, they learn it right. so well, they see its insufficiencies and right. inconsistencies. Like, it, it, you know, at the same time, it, generally where you go for receptacles of traditions is, is standard institutions. And right. that's part of what they're good at, right? No, absolutely. Storehouses of things. And, and
2: I actually think – you know, first, I, I, gave, I introduced the idea of the seven liberal arts last night. We were talking in my lecture. We are doing the early Middle Ages. And it just dawned on me that uh, not only have these folks not been taught, they, don't know, they not only know, don't know what the liberal arts are, they've not been taught them. Yeah. yeah and and yeah, it's really hard. Yeah. It's hard to learn to think. Well, this is where your teacher, graduate...
1: Diogenes Allen, basically constru- wrote a book and constructed a course to teach fo- the philosophy you would need to actually yeah. function in an MDiv program because he knew so many, he was noticing so many people just didn't have it.
2: Right, right. And I think that's, um, you know, I think the, 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 even not, you know, not only for theology, but the basic liberal arts curriculum taught you how to think, taught you how to write clear sentences. It taught you how to think and understand. And um, we don't, we don't, there's a lot of things that we, you know, again, I mean, kids, um have to be able to live in the technological world we live in, but there is no there's no shortcut to learning and to thinking
1: yeah no and no, and i mean I think that that's there's not and 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 then, and then the challenge is that what do you do with with the creative minds that that how do you figure out when the- when they need a, a different kind of system you know to to kind of take advantage of some of the things they're, they're seeing, you know, now, and, and again, the connections they're making.
2: Now, that is where technology now has an opportunity for you to do that, to supplement. And and schools are doing, you know, better jobs of pulling kids out and different things. But I, I do think it is, a, it is you know, it's, it's kind of the challenge. We want to promote creativity. And I think that's a value that, you know, it's certainly a value you hear kicked around in educational circles. But I think part of the problem... That you just mentioned is they're not. Some places are not learning the basics, and so it's hard to fly. You know, it's hard to fly with the eagles if you can't. You know, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. But I mean, I just think of like the reason. Like this is, you know, again, I said the two kind of back to back. The show and then this podcast was fantastic. I was just thinking about you know the the kind of conversation Bill Crystal and Sky Irwin, we um, Shlet, were having. And they were, everything was so open-ended. Yeah. And they were talking about when you need regulations, when you don't. These are both conservatives and the purpose of them and, and, yeah. and all these kinds of things like we're, you know, and, 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 and the, so much, again, was open-ended. Right. Uh, and w- what happens, again, it's like a crystal sink. Then you wind up the back and when you're in the sort of D.C. beltway. You just can't have an open-ended conversation. I mean, I remember when the theological task force of the Presbyterian Church USA was meeting, and they were meeting behind closed doors. And one of the reasons Rich Mal defended that, the former president of Seminary, was like, when you're doing theology, you have to have the freedom to put out ideas that that may or may not be right and, and kind of systematize and think and reflect in ways that, like, you're not sitting there with the Presbyterian layman and the outlook and all quoting everything. So you, 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 right. you, you can't—you're not— consciously self-censoring yourself the whole time.
2: No, no, there needs to be, there needs to be room to make mistakes or to make outlandish statements to get to, to something that everyone can agree on. Yeah. Or or not agree on, but still the
1: freedom. Yeah. That's the me. That's why we record in this bunker. That's right. (laughs) But then we do have Facebook live on. So maybe. kind of Well, that's
2: too. I do think, you know, that's part of, you know, this is related to something we talked about Sunday night at the uh, meetup group as well as. Thank you all for coming. Thank you. For in a previous podcast, you know, the inability to disagree really puts a great damper on creativity. Oh, well, yeah. 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 I mean, if I can go back and forth, I mean, I don't know in in the course of uh, I, I learned this lesson early in high school, I was uh, I don't know what year in high school I was, but it was the seventy six election. And uh, so I was a sophomore, I guess, in high school, and uh, we had a debate. We we divided up, um, you know, Ford versus Clinton. Okay? Yeah, yeah. And, and I I was to defend Clinton, my Carter, worked, Ford, and Carter, Ford and Carter, right. And I was on the Ford team. Okay, and we we destroyed the other people in the debate.
1: dynamic team. <laughs>
2: <means>. <laughs> we destroyed the other team in the debate, but that was my beginning of becoming a Democrat. <laughs> Because I, uh, I, in the process of learning, you know, what Carter was trying to do, at least what his ideals were, and, and trying to defend the Republican legacy, and Gerald Ford certainly was a better man than what he was having to defend at that point. Uh, nonetheless, that kind of disagreement and, and oppositional research changed my mind about things. And I do think that was – that's something that in this polemic age, which we've talked about. I mean, how many times theologically have I learned in the course of, you know, reading somebody or disagreeing with them and suddenly thinking, well, wait a minute. their, Their point is really valid. I don't have a good answer for that.
1: I want to take a brief moment to ask you a quick question. Do you like this podcast? Do you enjoy it? Do you look forward to listening to it while you do a morning, afternoon, or evening routine, or while you're exercising, or while you're caught frustrated in traffic? Do you tune into it because of the conversations you find here? If the answer to the aforementioned questions is yes, or even just a solid maybe, would you do something for me? Would you consider becoming a Patreon sponsor of the podcast for just five bucks a month? Or more, it's for a good cause You can help this podcast and one of the many others I do keep going. To be a patron, through Patreon, of this, which I think is an art form you're enjoying and will continue to enjoy. Again, any contribution is welcome, but for five bucks a month, you will get a shout out on the thank you roll call, which begins right now. Thank you, David and Winona Babico, Michael Butera, Peter Stegenwald, Samantha Blythe, Sari Graham... Jordan and Danny Morseberger, Josh Redder, Ellis Brazil, David Zoll, Jonathan Butrin, Ben DeHart, Charlotte Donlin, Stephen Rowe, Andrew Stravitz, Jim Crest, and Liam O'Brien. If you want to join these patrons through Patreon, just go to patreon.com forward slash Scott Kent Jones. Thanks again for listening, and now back to the show. Yeah, no, I think that's totally true. And the, the other thing, you know, we've talked this before, Jonathan Haidt, hey, in The the Righteous Mind, he says, you know, wh- let's say, whatever contentious or you're debating in a public policy thing, whether it's at a, if it's at a college or when you're making an argument, you're not generally trying to persuade the other side. You're trying to assure your side that you're part of the team and the tribe. So part of it that I think stifles creativity too, is that the tribalism and then in the sort of in group kind of, you know, the whole morality binds and blinds and sort of that you, you don't say things that could be anathema socially. Because you want your tribe of friends. So you kind of cling to a set of ideas or constructions of them or ways to phrase them or ways to think about the world because if you don't, right, you're out.
2: Yeah, it's kind of like the whole thought release both the right and the left. I mean, you remember telling a story, I don't know how many details we should give, but a certain denomination will remain nameless and somebody was being uh, interviewed as they were coming onto a position and they... Said they had they they actually held a certain position, but they wouldn't practice it. Remember about that?
1: Oh yeah. <laughs> Peace, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway,
2: Peace, yeah. Uh, Anyway, <laughs> and and actually, the, the by, by pres- the way,
1: I just want to say that person listens to this podcast. All right. Okay. Well, first of all, you know,
2: if you need us to come and you know, you know, let some air out of some people's tires, that I'm was stressed. the guy
1: actually that called me the day after the Trump election. His first words was, "How pissed was Bill?"
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> I have still got. I've st- if, just let us know. I still have delinquent youth group people that'll do anything I ask them to the yeah, yeah, so, do. Exactly. So please let me know. But no, I mean the fact is, you couldn't even. He was trying to have intellectual integrity. Said, so "I'm going to submit to the system," and they still pressed theological charges. Oh, yeah, you
1: know, yeah, yeah. He almost had to take a heresy trial. Yeah, because, that's crazy. Yeah. That's crazy. Can we just say it was about commuting infants? He said, "I wouldn't. I wouldn't commune children. Yeah. Commune children. Yeah. yeah, I wouldn't commune children before they make an adult profession, even though I think you should."
2: Yeah, even though that's yeah,
1: but the fact that he voiced it,
2: yeah, they got in trouble, yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: no. So that's I do not think that is a context for creativity. No, no, I'm just kidding. No, we, I mean we have a lot of friends, but you know what? The fact, that- I and mean, in fairness, what
2: denomination is. No, I I, I I remember being part of the liberal version of that tradition, yeah, yeah, and spending an hour and a half debating about a preposition in a report we were going to give.
1: <laughs> I'm serious. I was ready to. It's all about the preposition. I was
2: ready to walk in front of a moving train i tell
1: you you know the other thing too i was thinking about in light of this because you know i was thinking about some of jonathan's research that liberals tend to like variety more like they tend to like eating at different restaurants uh conservatives tend to like eating familiar places which is why they have applebee's in times square you know <laughs> but,
2: <laughs> but but is you that know, why i wondered why that
0: was it, that. yeah well exactly yeah. it's an eyesore <laughs> yeah well, it's just
1: like the comfort food but it's interesting though because that no that holds to a degree it's like Liberals don't like infinite variety, and I wonder. Minute, I, I
2: have to admit, I, I have a conservative friend. He's got he's the best uh, gourmet person. He would totally he's a totally fan, Mike, if you're listening. Right,
1: then there are I, outliers. I
2: stood, I stood up for you here. Outliers,
1: right, but I do think that I wonder how much our need for familiarity and routine stifles it too. Like that, I wonder how often the need to sort of. I mean, humans don't like change a lot. Some of us are more comfortable with it than others. But in general, we have like familiarities and we have things that, I mean, the world's a pretty chaotic and messy place, even it on its good days. And so we develop things that allow us to see it in certain ways, to calm anxiety, to promote security. And we need that thing, those things to function. But I wonder how much needing those things sometimes stifles the ability for the brain to make certain connections and see things in different ways. Well,
2: I think there's a difference between discipline and that. For instance, discipline, I mean, most great writers or great painters are disciplined people. So they create a certain structure. But I think what you're saying is if we never allow ourselves new opportunities, that's why, for instance, for no other reason, travel. Right, <laughs> right, right. Travel right, long, right, for no right. other reason and going somewhere where people are very different from you. For no other reason than... Uh, just experience if you've never if you 've never been a minority you know? yeah right uh if you 've never been somewhere not under, you know not spoken the language if you 've never been somewhere and you had to navigate a whole different system, it just changes the way you look at the world and look at things and I think um you know uh, i mean um there are a lot of people in the world you know who never travel more than sixty miles from their home for every given time and i think uh and sometimes they just don't have the money or the opportunity to, i mean I had relatives in my you know I have family members but who didn't give, ever have much of a chance to do stuff but that does limit your worldview now again you have exception i mean if you stop and think like for instance uh you can overcome that uh, someone like uh john adams you know what an expansive mind and until he was ambassador to france he never had traveled further than philadelphia yeah, yeah uh,
1: no absolutely i think you can too uh, yeah but but that capacity to sort of think past or see things in different ways and i think the last well, well there's many other things we could say but i think one thing too, like an ability to deal with failure yeah. the ability to have a measure of grace understand like the ability to fail again and again i mean so I, I mean often creatives fail a lot you know like see like edison how many times how many you you, are you know like
2: how much did they learn the space program from having (laughs) from failures right
1: and so i think uh, on some level if you're a perfectionist Mm -hmm. or if you're someone for whom uh work in the world is excessively defining with regard to your identity i think it'll be harder it's not impossible because they're creative egocentric people that are probably unforgiving but uh like steve jobs (laughs) is is, is, is probably an example but in general it it seems like people that are able to fail uh are are, and 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 accept that are people that can take more risks
2: yeah i think also the the value is learning i mean you know i'm dealing right now with some of my graduate students you know they want the grade but they don't they want me they want they don't want to do the work and the fact is particularly a theological education I thought the whole value was to learn you know and to be able to be prepared to, the, to be the kind of leader you're supposed to be. I think that's part of it. we like the we are we are a culture that's used to getting immediate rewards and the creative process it's kind of like prayer. I mean, prayer and creativity, I think, are very much related. And, you know, I, one of the things that's really interesting, I mean, I'm, I'm I'm starting to take my class through the Middle Ages, and the powerful creative things that came out of people who spent a large portion of their days in prayer, to me, is a, is an amazing thing. And I think those they're related. You have to be willing—prayer, to really do prayer properly, you have to be willing to make mistakes. You have to be—it's not about getting this right. It's about—in a lot of ways, it's about being there. Yeah. So, there you go. Yeah. All right. Have— uh We'll talk to you before Thanksgiving, right? Yeah, we absolutely will. Thank you so much for tuning in. All right. Be creative out there, friends. Exactly. (laughs)